Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Continuing to lay groundwork for our study of 1 Thessalonians, we are in the book of Acts. We have examined probably at least half of chapter 16, where Paul arrived in Europe, in Macedonia, in northern Greece, and preached in Philippi and established a church there and was, was uh, basically invited out of town because of the difficulty, the trouble that had been aroused by his casting a demon out of the slave girl. But... Leaving, apparently, we're not specifically told this, but all the indications are that he left Timothy and Luke to stay behind. Paul and Silas traveled on south, down the Roman road that ran south from Philippi, passing through a couple of cities of some notable significance, but not enough, (laughs) not significant enough. Paul kept traveling past the towns, past the villages, past the farms, He didn't stop and preach the gospel at any of those places until 100 miles south of Philippi, he came to the very large, very significant, very strategic city of Thessalonica, which was one of the three largest ports on the Aegean Sea and had a thriving commercial business going on. It was on the Ignatian Way, the famous Ignatian Way that led back to Rome And so there were a lot of things that were strategic. It had a large population, about 200,000 people, the largest city in Macedonia of that day. So this was, in our context today, like Paul arriving in the city of Chicago or New York or Los Angeles, something like that, Miami, where there was no gospel witness, where there was no church, where there were no Christians. And Paul said this is a fertile pasture, fertile field to, in which to, to preach the gospel. We believe God has something for us here. And so he stopped there and began to preach. And we read about that in verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them. Well, I should read verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his custom was, went into them. Stop there. I pause to welcome you to this Friday, February 2 edition of the Beacon Broadcast, and thank those who are mindful of our need of financial support in order to continue teaching God's Word on this station. 
So, Thessalonica was selected for the next place of service, Philippi having been left behind, but two, two members of the team also left behind there to continue teaching those people and establishing that Philippian church upon a firm foundation of God's word. But Paul and Silas continued on south, came to Thessalonica, the largest city in Macedonia. They found the synagogue, and as we read, as his custom was, then Paul, as his custom was, went in unto them. And of course, all you have to do is study the missionary journeys of Paul and read what is said about how he, how he started his ministry in this city, how he started his ministry in the next city, and inevitably he started in a synagogue, if there was one, and in Philippi there was not. So he started with a group of women who were meeting by the river. That was the closest thing to a synagogue. But now in Thessalonica, he found, as he expected in this large city, a Jewish synagogue, which means that there was a significant population of Jewish people in that large metropolitan area. No surprise there. Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire. And then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and, and here's something we're going to talk about in a moment, but make note of it now, and for three Sabbaths, of course, Jews worshipped on the Sabbath day. Christians worship on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, but Jews worshipped on the Sabbath day, as they were taught to do in the Law of Moses. In fact, that's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, someone might ask, how did he get an invitation to preach as a stranger coming into town and just showing up in the synagogue? Well, it turns out it was customary if a visiting rabbi, and Paul was a rabbi. If a visiting rabbi showed up in a synagogue, it was the custom to ask them to bring a message. A very, what should we say, a very um, helpful custom for the spread of the gospel. Probably people would study that, and, and, and if they were anthropologists would study that and say, well, it's an unusual custom, but here's the explanation, there's the explanation. I don't know what the uh, anthropological explanation, the, the cultural explanation would be for that, but I think I have my idea. I think the explanation is that God directed synagogues to establish that custom in preparation for the coming of Christ and for the spread of the gospel. This was a perfect springboard for gospel preaching. And so the custom was followed, Paul was invited, and he, as we read here, reasoned with them from the Scriptures. In other words, he was asked to preach. What did he do? He opened the Scriptures. I started to say he opened his Bible, but probably not because, I mean, he, he could have, but I'm sure he carried some portions of Scripture with him. But synagogues have scrolls of Old Testament books. In fact, they have a systematic uh, systematic um, format 
for which scriptures are going to be read on each of the 52 Sabbath days of the year. And that format was followed in virtually all of the synagogues. So wherever you were in the world, you would hear the same portion of scripture read. And so no doubt that scripture was read and then the visiting preacher was invited to preach. Did he use the scripture reading for that day as his text? Or did he refer to other texts? We have no way of knowing, but he did reason with them from the scriptures. And in that context, the scriptures would mean the Old Testament scriptures that they were used to hearing every Sabbath day of their lives, which they knew quite well, but nobody probably knew them quite as well as Paul, who had studied them very carefully, who had memorized great portions of them, who could quote large portions of Scripture from memory, and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He didn't try to appeal to them on the basis of, what should I say, on the basis of apologetics, on the basis of logic, on the basis of personal testimony. There's a place for all of these things, but none of those things are as powerful as preaching and teaching the word of the living God. Only the Bible is God's word. In that context, since the New Testament hadn't been written yet, only the Old Testament was God's word. Let's stick to the word of God. And so what did Paul do? He reasoned that with them from the scriptures, verse 3, explaining. This would be what we would call exposition, taking a text and explaining it, what it means, and demonstrating, now there's the application of the text, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now, I emphasize that word, the, the definite article, because I'm trying to make a point. We generally use the word Christ as if it were part of his name. We have, we have a first name, a middle name, a last name, as, as we commonly call it. My name is Gregory Norris Barkman. We generally refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ, as if that's his first and last name. Or sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ, as if we've got first, middle, and last name. But actually, Jesus is his name, the name that was given to him at his birth. Christ is his title. Christ is a well-known title, a well-known concept with a, 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 a noun to, to capsulize what is being talked about. And so every Jew in that synagogue would know immediately what is meant by the word Christ, which is synonymous with the word Messiah. It means anointed one. But we're not talking about a Christ. We're talking about the Christ because there is only one. It's an office, the office of Messiah, but it's an office that is only held by one person. The office of king was held by a succession of people. The office of prophet is held by a number of people. The office of priest, likewise, held by a number of people in succession. 
But the office of Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one, long promised by the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament prophets, but as far as these Jews were concerned, had, had not yet come. But they, as good, faithful, believing Jews, worshiping God, according to their custom and according to the scriptures, they are looking for the coming of the Christ. And Paul is referring to that person, that one, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, and now he tells them something about the Christ that most of them had never really considered, probably had skipped over, had paid little attention to, if any, and was a great stumbling block to Jews everywhere, namely, that the Christ, the very Messiah that they're looking for, had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Now, the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, clearly prophesy of a suffering Messiah just as much as they prophesy a reigning Messiah. But like people in our day, the Jews in their day were prone to focus upon the statements that appealed to them, the ones that they particularly liked, and to ignore the ones that they didn't. The idea of a suffering Messiah, that doesn't appeal to anyone, humanly speaking. They didn't understand that the only way the Messiah could save was by suffering and dying. But suffering Messiah, oh no, he is a mighty king. He is a glorious king. He is a powerful king. But Paul is showing them from their own scriptures that the Christ that they are looking for, according to the word of God, must suffer and must die and must rise again from the dead. We'll take it up, Lord willing, on Monday. Join me then. Until then, good day. May God give you his eternal peace.